It's planting season, and it's not too late to make sure your crops grow up fed and happy. Regardless of your spring crop, Fed and Happy offers a variety of worm-casting solutions in liquid and solid form to supercharge your soil, your yields, and your profitability. For fast, vibrant germination and seedling growth, mix your seed with Fed and Happy's screened granular castings pre-drilling. The Fed and Happy liquid seed treat and extracts offer the ideal mix of soluble solids loaded with living beneficial biology, mycorrhizal fungi, humates, and more. The Fed and Happy small spreadable castings are ideal for fast, easy soil incorporation. The large offer long-term stability and soil growth. But you don't have to figure this out on your own. Just call 833-GO-WORMS to speak with our farm team experts for a fast turnaround on a custom solution for your needs. Fare better against pests, disease, drought, and other potential hazards this season with Fed and Happy Worm Castings. Visit FedandHappy.com for a healthy harvest and any lawn, garden, and tree care needs. Available for pickup and on-farm delivery. That's F-E-D-N-Happy.com. Or call 833-GO-WORMS. Happy planting. Welcome. You're listening to Casually Baked, the podcast. Home base for the can of curious. Thanks for tuning in. It's hot time. We had a hot time. Together. Together. Yes, it's a hot time. We had a hot time. Hi, y'all. I'm Joe, your host and cannabis lifestyle guide. I had such a great time exploring the Portland cannabis culture over the past few days. I was in town for the fourth annual Cultivation Classic, but had a chance to meet up with our friend Luke Zimmerman in between the conference happenings. You probably remember Luke from Podcast 83. He's the cannabis IP attorney and fellow travel lover. We caught up over a beer at Rogue Hall on the campus of Portland State University to chat local Portland culture, hemp and CBD trademarks, and the Cannabis Appalachian Project with California's Department of Food and Agriculture. Settle in for this grab bag of goodness. It's time to get casually baked. I got the bottle of wine, the high dollar kind. I got the West Coast smoke, but I better just... Luke Zimmerman, it's so good to see you on your turf. It's really good to see you, too. Welcome to Portland, Oregon. Thank you. I've done a lot of traveling since I last saw you. I am very curious to hear about what's going on in Canada. That was kind of the cliffhanger. Did you read the book? I did read the book. I did skip all of the recipes. I just wasn't in my <laughs> Susie Homemaker mode. But, yeah. Um, but yeah, I was hoping that we could use today's podcast to just kind of be a grab bag of all things okay. cannabis and culture. And I think there's been some interesting things happening on the IP front. There has. And so maybe there's you can fill us on. in on that too. We, so We can talk about hemp trademarks or trademarks as they relate to hemp and CBD goods federally. We can talk about Appalachian's origin and what's going on with the CDFA and the working group in California. Awesome. Um, what else can we talk about? I, th I would think that those, since I've seen you, those are two of the biggest things that have been going on. And, you know, I think let's talk about this Appalachian project first because, you know, when I was in Calgary, I hooked up with the Cannabis Sommelier for a 420 dinner party. Mm -hmm. And this is a young millennial kid who... Got into cannabis at like 16 years old right. and wanted to learn about tasting of cannabis. And so he went and became a sommelier. See, what and, and we did. And, you know, that whole idea of what's happening with wine, I'm like, we can totally turn that into, a, you know, a cannabis parallel. Oh, yeah, completely. What, what I, I think is kind of funny just from the get-go of that is when I was 16, my options of sommeliering was pressed, imported Mexican brickweed. So the idea of Somaliing <laughs> yeah. or fine cannabis, we've come so far. Yeah. Like, I love that there's opportunities like this for people. Yeah. I think that's great. There was a, a girlfriend of mine who, and one of her um, 
Tolly Eisenberg. <laughs> she was talking at one of these events that we had that she didn't even know that cannabis was green until she moved to California. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. I had to move out of my hometown before I knew that and was like, what is this? Yeah. yeah. But then for moving, when I moved out to Oregon in 2001, mm -hmm. talking to people who grew up here, they're like, oh, yeah, I've, what you're talking about, like this brick thing, I've heard of it. But, like, where would you find that? And I'm oh, like, yeah. oh, that was 90% of what I saw growing up. Oh, yeah. Yeah. When I lived in Dallas and, you know, doing illicit things that I shouldn't have been doing, you show up at a house and there's, like, five or six of those. And there's people, like, you know, breaking oh, it yeah. off, putting it in baggies. And I'm like, oh, behind the scenes. Right. Great. Did you ever <laughs> see, like, the electric bread knife being used on one? No, I didn't. That but I think that probably would have been a lot more clever than what they were doing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, saves the wrist action, too. It's good. So tell me about this Appalachian project. What's so, happening? Okay. Do you know anything? If I said Appalachians of origin, is this like a blank like? Not for me. You would not get a blank stare from me, but okay. from the Casually Baked audience, maybe you would. So okay. let's, let's so baby step it. In the, the easiest way to have an association, and we're going to go with wine, because currently in the United States... Viticulture and Appalachian of origin is the only way Appalachians of origin are used in the United States. Mm -hmm. So if I said to you, would you prefer to buy a bottle of Pinot Noir from the Willamette River Valley? We'll keep it local. There you go. Or would you like a bottle of Pinot Noir from Temecula, California? And if there is an innate pull or an association where you're like, oh, Oregon is known for their Pinots. I pick Willamette, damn it. Exactly. Hey, that's... <laughs> <laughs> if no one has trademarked that, there you go. Um, and so that idea that there are certain regions that produce products that purely by the virtue that the product is made there, it probably has a superior quality. So it has an identity associated with it. Um, this is well established. I mean, the Northern California wine culture and tourism is mm -hmm. premised around a lot of this. Mm -hmm. um, and so the way we use Appalachian of origin in the United States is primarily a geographic region for wine that is smaller than a county, um, can cross into multiple states, but it has a GPS-defined boundary, and wine cultivated in that region mm -hmm. uh, gets to use this special indication. Mm -hmm. Now, what happened in 2015 with uh, M. Mercusa was we had the indication that Appalachian origin will be allowed for cannabis in California. And we have moved to the point where the CDFA or California Department of Food and Agriculture mm -hmm. is holding work groups right now to try and define what this is. And so where I said, you know, in America, it's primarily just a geographic region. If you look towards the French model um, and Europe uses Appalachian origin for not just wine, there's actually the Lisbon Treaty protecting Appalachian origin which the United States is not a signatory to. We have not ratified it. We're not a signatory. But there's numerous goods. Um, uh, Israel has some oranges. Uh, there's some ham from Spain. And, and the lemons in yeah, Italy, like all right. of these things. And yes, especially okay. France, Italy, Mediterranean countries seem to love Appalachians mm -hmm. of Oregon, origin yes. and ge geographic indication. So the CDFA is now trying to figure out what does it look like for cannabis? Because we're supposed to be at a point where we're accepting applications by 2021. Uh, not that long. Mm -hmm. So uh, I... And you're one of the people that are helping figure out what this is going to look like. There is 30 members of the working group. Okay. There's three attorneys. I'm one of the three attorneys. I give credit to uh, Ryan Stoa, who maybe his book, he, the Craft Weed book. That I don't have it. No. Okay. Um, recently published. Really interesting read. Probably the most published literature on Appalachian as it relates to cannabis that exists right now. Okay. He actually wrote a Harvard Law Review article that is accessible also uh, and published that, I think, three years ago. So he was ahead of the curve. Okay. Richard Mendelson, who also sits in this, I'm seeing as the go-to guy for Appalachian. Mm -hmm. Like, he, uh, he owns his own vineyard. He knows more about wine, especially from the legal context, than anyone I've ever met. That listening to him talk is fascinating. And I, especially for having both of these other attorneys be very interested in wanting, it, it's, a, it's an unbiased of how this should be. It's just, we want to get it done right. We want so to do justice. So are these people it. that are involved, is it 
the wine people that are involved because they structurally understand it and they know how to do this stuff, but they're right. also passionate about cannabis? Or is it because they're wanting to protect, protect what happens in the wine industry and really keep a handle on what's happening in the cannabis space? I see it even a little bit differently. It's, it's more so they understand the legal structure and they want to get it right. Mm -hmm. It's just, okay. okay, let's do justice to this. Because after we form it, going back and amending it is going to be a lot harder. Right. Uh, it's going to be hard enough to get this point. Yeah, I can totally appreciate that. And so there's 27 um, groups that are organizations that have different interests, either cultivation groups or regional groups or trade associations. And we're just collectively sharing ideas of how we think this should shake out. And there's definitely an indication of some people think that this should be for outdoor sun, organic cultivated. And some people think that it should be for greenhouse or there's some people who think it should be indoor. Uh, yeah, I mean, those feel like they need to be two separate things to me. And I agree with that. And I think right now, because this is something new, mm -hmm. um, it's just everyone's voice needs to be heard. Right. Because there's also so many restrictions in California that in some regions you can only do greenhouse cultivation. Now, are there other states that have some sort of a model or this is the very first of its kind? This will be the first in the world. That's so fun. It's so fun. so exciting. And... Um, for being here in Oregon, uh, you know, I've talked to Oregon attorneys about this. In Southern Oregon, um, I mean, because the Emerald Triangle runs up into Southern Oregon, mm -hmm. that region would benefit from this immensely. And I know Appalachians have been dis discussed in legislature here once, but it didn't get brought to a vote. Okay. And so there's a thought that, well, we have a hope uh, with the working group for the CDFA that if we get this done well enough, mm -hmm. that other states would follow this model. Sure. Or even more ideally, uh, internationally, this would have an impact. And when I was in Jamaica at the end of last year, um, I was speaking with some of the intellectual property attorneys I met there about this. And Jamaica is already on board with geographic indication for cannabis. That if they would have a trade group come together and say, maybe, you know, the Blue Mountain is known for also for cannabis cultivation. We want to have a GI designated for there. If they could get the trade group to actually put that together the federal agency would honor that, which is even a step farther than what we can do with this. So, I mean, we're looking at just state and local co community organized uh, organizations that will end up owning the Appalachian, where GI is something that's honored both by the federal government and then can be moved more into the international arena a little bit easier. Mm -hmm. Okay, so when I think about this as a consumer right because you know ultimately the people that listen they're less growers they're more consumers and so you know it will potentially be one of those things where you go into a dispensary and you may be paying more for cannabis right. from a certain appellation than another one right. right so it'll be just like shopping for wine now and that it's this is moving the dialogue forward with what is artisanal cannabis mm -hmm. what is for the refined consumer, if you were going to buy something, this for the entry-level cannabis consumer, this probably doesn't have a lot of meaning. But if you're already at a point where I could say, I have some sour diesel cultivated in Mendocino, or I have sour diesel, and I'm, I hate that I'm picking on Temecula, but this is my go-to example, uh -huh. but I have some sour diesel cultivated in Temecula, do you have an initial gut feeling that one of these is probably better? Right. And that... Seeing that already, I mean, there's a fair amount of people who have that already that level of consumer understanding. Mm -hmm. um, now we're just going to refine that. And that is the other goal. Um, I actually just got off a phone call before I came in here. The International Cannabis uh, INCBA, uh, International Cannabis Lawyers Association. Why am I blanking on the acronym right now? It's cause because we had it an international. Yeah, we're not even casually baked yet. <laughs> <laughs> this is true. So... Um, we, the National Cannabis Bar Association. There you go. Bar <laughs> We're in a bar. Wow. Yeah. Um, we have formed a subcommittee mm -hmm. of attorneys who are now going to start doing research into this. Our goal is to put on some events to educate both attorneys nationally about this issue and then hopefully have a symposium uh, this fall where we're going to bring together the academic, business, uh, cultivators, and attorneys and just kind of have a nexus point of all these different interests. Let's share information. Let's do some networking and kind of meet each other. Right on. Yeah. 
Well, that's an exciting project to be a part of. I feel humbled, very honored, and very much uh, I don't want to mess this up because this is going to have a direct impact on thousands of people. And if we can do this well, I don't know how large this can grow, but I do see this as a viable lifeline for small farms that have been having a lot of integrity and a lot of intention in how they're cultivating their cannabis. This, and especially if there's a traditional component where maybe this is a region that multi-generations have been known for cultivating cannabis, right. um, that this could be a big leg up. Yeah. And, and we're honoring that tradition. And that, right. to me, that is, if we don't do something to protect that now, uh, if you give it another five or 10 years, will people care about it when you talk about it? Right. You got to make it important mm -hmm. to have it be important. Exactly. So. Well, and it's important to have people that feel like that being, yeah. you know, heading the charge because we do want to make sure that that we are protecting the culture, really protecting these second, third generation farmers and their and their legacy. Yeah, so think, thank you for what you're doing. Well, thank I, you're welcome. And uh, I just, as I said, I feel fortunate enough. I, this was um, as opportunities go. This was probably it's going to tie for the second or third most exciting thing I've done in my career and I so I'm next uh, to being on casually baked the yeah, podcast uh, of, course, of course right of course that's top five <laughs> I mean that we're not going to put the number of where that is but it's definitely in the top five. Right. fair enough fair enough you know I fish for compliments wherever I could get hey, I told you I'm a sucker for compliments too so that's I know great. I remember that about mm -hmm, you mm -hmm. so okay so we're at Rogue Hall mm -hmm. having some local beer right so what are some of your favorite things about the Portland cannabis culture that I need to make sure I dip my toe in while I'm here? Well, I think you, you already went to the Northwest Cannabis Club. I went for a lighting check. I've got to go back and like right. sink into yeah, a so booth. Why that is, is nice is they do throw great events, but also if it's the middle of the day, you want to take your computer someplace, you're going to do some work, and you're like, you know what? I just want to have, like, I want to be able to place where I can, like, drink some coffee, smoke a joint, and I'm in, like, a public setting. Mm -hmm. You can do that. Yeah. And they're... So I don't explain, think, to explain to the listeners what Northwest Cannabis Club here is. North, Northwest Cannabis Club is a private social club that allows cannabis consumption on site. And, awesome. I mean, they have set up volcanoes for you to use, uh, dab rigs, e-nails. So uh, they don't sell cannabis. They're not a dispensary. They're a private club. And you can just go in and socialize. So it's a very, we don't, there, I don't think there's another public consumption venue in Portland right now. So having that mm -hmm. being a viable option is, is pretty cool. Yeah, and it really has a great little atmosphere the few seconds that I was inside. Did you go in the basement? No, he would. He was going to make me buy the annual membership and pay the ten dollars just to walk around and look at the place. You're I was like, like, "Man, tough crowd. Am I in Canada right now?" <laughs> <laughs> You're like, "I am helping bring awareness to the cop." No, no. But well, so we're going to so, try to go back. Yeah, I, I say day. try and check it out. It's a cool place. Okay. Um, what else do I love here? I recently we had four twenty since I've seen you. Mm -hmm. uh, Portland and doing cannabis specials right now is phenomenal. Uh, I kind of laugh because for what I walked away with for $200 for going to different places for the daily specials uh -huh. compared to what you'll see in California, I felt so, so rich. You got a cannabis. lot of value. I got a lot of value. So I, I love that. I And I think uh, Portland, because it's so much more, you can navigate the city so much easier than a lot of Californian cities. Mm -hmm. uh, being able to just go on a dispensary tour because there is, we go from the high-end, look beautiful interior down to the like nitty-gritty, let's just get it done in and out. And uh, for the most part, people are really friendly here. So um, I would encourage you, if you've got time, do that tour. I think that is, is very much worthwhile. Okay. Um, the Ladies of Paradise shop over in Southeast. I don't mm -hmm. know. Are you familiar with them? I have heard about them. Yeah, yes. That they have their own store here. That would be worth checking out. Okay. Um, uh, but let's talk real quick because you're talking about getting a lot of bang for your buck. So like a gram of flour here, right? you could get like a gram for like five bucks. Right. That's insane. <laughs> How is that possible? Tell um, me what the situation is. So Oregon, if you look at our track and trace system from what I have heard, um, I think we have like 1.4 million pounds of surplus so, again, great vacation spot, this Portland, Oregon. <laughs> I'm just saying if you are a big wow. smoker, the idea that on 420 I was getting grams of shatter for $7, mm -hmm. 
beautiful, pristine shatter. Uh-huh. It's like, yeah, I mean, California with all the, the tax issues that are going on, it's just not viable. Like, you can't, oh, you, yeah. you couldn't see that. Um, I also think that this is a little bit of a warning sign because until we are allowed interstate commerce federally, mm-hmm. the reality is it's a plant that can be cultivated over, you know, three-month span and now trying to map demand. And California, because we don't have track and trace fully up and running, we don't actually have a good gauge of what production looks like in California. We don't mm-hmm. have a good data set. When that comes online, what we saw in Oregon, at least, um, is when you see the amount of production, that also can spark a fire for bottoming out of value. Well, that's what I was concerned about. Yeah. Just like, how, how are these farmers, how are these cultivators making it? It's rough. It is really rough. I mean, they got to have like two or three side hustles. That is, in some cases, and the other reality is some people just lose the farm. Yeah, and that's I hate that. Re- I hate that too. And I hate it because a lot of the people who are experiencing that are the people who fought to get here. And then having business planning for a model that probably more rose-colored glasses than was real. or And within two years being like, oh, man, that's not... This shit isn't good. I remembered I can swear on this. Yeah, yeah you can. Shit is not that good. That shit is not, not good. It is not good. So, Man. and so actually in what what we saw in Oregon then was a big pivot. A lot of people moved away from cannabis and moved towards hemp. Because hemp was the next viable. Some of the people saw the federal restrictions on CBD probably going to be going away much sooner than anything we saw for cannabis. Right. Mm-hmm. So, especially southern Oregon, a number of farms just pivoted over and started doing hemp production. Interesting. Mm -hmm. And so you had mentioned earlier that because of what's happening federally, that's also opening some doors in the IP department. And so these people that are transitioning over, they're able to create these viable brands Brands. now. And that, I think, is I'm calling 2019 the year of hemp trademarks. Because uh, at the end of 2018, the Farm Bill was passed December 20th. Uh, signed into law. Mm-hmm. What that did was reschedule the definition of hemp through the CSA, and hemp was no longer included in the Controlled Substances Act. Mm-hmm. That so long it is as it is 0.3 percent or less THC by dried biomass, uh-huh. it is qualified as hemp. And by removing it from the CSA, the biggest issue cannabis brands had or cannabis trademarks had at the federal level was you'd get a CSA inquiry of are you violating the Controlled Substances Act? Got it. So as of December 20th, now I can affirm it so long as it's 0.3% or less THC, I can affirmly say, oh, there's no CSA violation. What is up next is FDA violations. And as of now, um, there are any food additive, anything, actually Oregon's wonky. I will get to that. Uh, anything we're ingesting in food, commercial food, should be GRAS certified, which is generally regarded as safe by the FDA. Okay. And so when... I was like, GRAS, what does that stand right, hold for? On. If it's you're, you're missing an S. <laughs> There's one more S here. Copy that. Um, and <laughs> so it's uh, CBD mm-hmm. is not GRAS certified yet. So... Anything that is ingestible, anything that would go in an orifice, is still not federally certified. The federal gov- er, FDA is starting to have reviews at the end of this month about the safety of CBD as a food or as an additive. Got it. So I've heard a timeline of anywhere from nine months to two years. We'll uh-huh. probably have a decision of if that will be allowed. But the anomaly, from my understanding here in Oregon, mm-hmm. okay, thing, other things you need to see. Voodoo donuts, probably just on the basis that you got to see voodoo donuts. Yes. Blue star donuts. I can stuff one of those in, uh, and in one of my orifices without getting FDA I approval. Don't, <laughs> I don't know where <laughs> voodoo stands on this, but if you go to Blue Star, they have a chocolate donut that is a CBD chocolate donut. And so the anomaly of Oregon is you'll see CBD foodstuffs and additives all over at commercial businesses. Yeah, I had a, a CBD beer topper yesterday california i've slow just sent out 1600 notices of violation for businesses Mm. so california is handling this totally differently than oregon yeah oregon 
Yeah. Oregon actually reminds me of the last time I was in Amsterdam where it was like, how many different products can we put CBD into, even if that doesn't seem to make sense? But yeah. you're like, sure. Yeah. A muffin. Oh, a muffin with a coffee. Okay. Like, oh, and it's, okay. Well, and some water even. Wow. Okay. Let's, I know. Let's just, just do that. It okay. feels like it jumped the shark. I'm oh, just, it did. I'm it like, did. this is ridiculous. When I saw Carl's Jr. on 420. That's wild. Like, oh my God. Fuck off with all this stuff, people. Well, so yes and no. I think one, it normalizes it, which, which advances cannabis. Two, I think it gives room for science and doing research. What is this really, which we need? Um, yes, but I don't think it necessarily normalizes it. I feel like it glorifies it. And to where someone is like, oh, now I can have a tasty burger or a donut. Right. And it's healthy because I added CBD to I, it. I think it there is a lot of misinformation yeah. that is created from it. I'll yes. agree with that. Okay. I mean, I don't think having Kim Kardashian have a baby shower that's CBD themed really help, <sighs> help the cause. Um, did you follow that? Mm-hmm. I know one of the brands that was involved in all of that. I'm 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 not not on the Kardashian train. I am not either. Uh, My girlfriends keep me up to speed on what's happening with a lot of this stuff. Well, you gotta you gotta be on the pulse. You don't you don't need need to be on, but you you kind of gotta be on the pulse. (laughs) I need to I need to know, but I don't necessarily want to know. Exactly. (laughs) I mean, you you can't be an ostrich. You can't just put your head in the sand. You know, these things are happening. but about the USB two, yeah. So it's exciting. It's this opening up, and what we're seeing a lot of companies do is, if they have a CBD model or a plan, a lot of the classes you're going to register in for hemp or CBD are the classes you want in the future for THC. Mm-hmm. So asking an examining officer point blank, "Hey, can I can I register a trademark for hemp cigarettes?" And having to go, well, does it offend any federal agency you can think of? And I'm like, I don't think anyone has the jurisdiction to control this. He's like, well, then we'd probably grant it. So I'm like, okay. That's essentially just saying low THC joints are now federal. Okay. And so I think you're going to see business expansion models and registration of federal trademarks in a way that is not. To me, like the floodgates are almost completely open now. Okay. And at least from a strategy standpoint, you can do a lot more aggressive registrations than you could in 2018. Mm-hmm. So that's exciting. Yeah. Um, and you're going to see where, you know, if you're looking at how federal trademarks were registered, it was clothing and apparel, then information services. Mm-hmm. Now we have the opportunity with CBD goods to actually have goods that are going to be federally legal and can seek trademark protection. So for my CBD muscle rub that I'm doing, is oh, yeah. that like a health and beauty category? Like what category does that go Class in? Class three, um, which would be cosmetics. Yeah. Uh, lotions, beauty products. Um, and an interesting thing about that is, and once again, most of the application, I, I don't think there has been a registration that's been granted yet under this new, Okay. but the, for talking to the FDA, they said, it's so long as it's cosmetic good that is accurate in its labeling and with ingredients. Mm-hmm. There are no illegal ingredients in it. And then lastly, there's nothing that would hurt the consumer. You would be able to be allowed registration. Oh, and okay. you're not making any medical claims. Yep. And that, I think, is going to hang, hang up some of the more established businesses. And actually, that's where we're going to see the first round of enforcement mm-hmm. um, is businesses that are making some egregious CBD medical claims. And so on the back of my label, I have, you know, this is not approved by the FDA to do blah, 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 blah. But in the ingredients, I have the ingredients and at the end, it's like in a proprietary essential oil blend. Like, do I need to spell out what each of those are? I would, yes, I would say yes. Damn it, man. I mean, I, one, I would talk to an attorney. I mean, I'm, I'm, gl- I mean, I'm glossing this over. Yeah, right. I'm right. glossing this over I'm quickly. I'm like, hey, but, are you kicking me out of but, the party? No, 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 no. It, <laughs> what you would hate to have happen is you say, I have this proprietary blend. Mm-hmm. And then it turns out one of those herbs or oils someone's allergic to. And they were not able to accurately be put on notice that this is what they were rubbing on their skin. They get hives. You get sued for products liability. The sky is falling now. Yeah, fair so, enough. Fair enough. And that's why clear ingredients, and really in the theory of trade secrets, herbs and spices of KFC. 
that is that's the go-to example uh-huh. because you can see the ingredient list. They'll tell you what they all are. They just don't tell you the ratios. Mm-hmm. And that is the proprietary aspect. Got it. Coca-Cola, we can look at the ingredients list. You know exactly what's in there. Yeah. I just don't know how you do it. Right. Yeah. All right. Good information. Good all to good. Know. Good to know. Yeah. yeah. So after our last talk, I did my homework. Right. I went to Calgary. I've been having you some business conversations right. there. Read the book. I went to Hall of Flowers. I right. sat in on an IP. and. How was that? Was that amazing? It was really good. It was it was good to be there. It was good to be absorbing that information because it's like we had the talk and then I'm layering it. It's kind of right. like media. You have to hear things five, six, seven times oh, yeah. before it sinks in. Makes sense. And then that's when I was like, okay, hi, it's time for us to talk for real now. <laughs> I like it. Uh, it's good. And we definitely, off air, we follow up conversation. Yeah. And I think that's good. Hall of Flowers, from my understanding now, is going to go on twice a year. Is that Oh, I don't know. Because I think they're, yeah, the show that just happened, and then there's going to be a fall show. That, are they um, going to do that in, like, L.A. or something? No, are they gonna Santa Rosa. Is, Hell yeah. And that's, I am really interested in checking that out. I heard such positive things about the first event that... Well, let me tell you why. <laughs> because the people that put this event on are not from the cannabis space. <gasps> These people are, like, from wedding and the event world. Right. And they know how to put on a slick event that's well operated and okay. it looks clean and it looks pretty. Right. And now I will say they needed more cashiers and you I know, people. I heard that there was a problem with samples. Yeah, that yeah. was insane because people were just going around and grabbing the sample card from everyone and then they go get in line. You know, someone from inside the cannabis world who I don't necessarily need a bunch of free stuff. And so right. I was in line with two sample cards. Right. Intentional. People, I want to try this, these specific yeah, things. People right. in front of me with like 20 and 30 cards right. and this line was snaking around forever. And I'm like, uh, I think I played this game wrong. Right. <laughs> so you somebody, yeah, yeah, people were like, here, do you want to free this or this? And all of a sudden, by the time I got to the front, I had like five cards. Right. But it was kind of a mess. And right. at the end... There was one thing I really wanted to try, and I just wasn't willing to get back in that line. I was like, I'd rather buy it at a store. Fair. Well, so that's the room for improvement. Mm-hmm. You know, right. I, I'm sure, especially seeing the responses, because that was the biggest concern. I saw people vocalize. Yeah. And let alone what happened to the samples that didn't get used. Because from my understanding, those were not able to be remitted to the businesses. Those were have an obligatory, must be destroyed per BCC. Are you effing kidding me? I am not effing kidding you. Okay, there's already so much waste in oh, yeah. packaging. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And if now you're making us waste products, yeah, that makes my blood boil. Yeah. And to be like, wait, so there wasn't a compassionate option that we could right. do it? Because I'm sure, you know, if you already went there with this is going to be given away, let's give it away. And then being, oh, we didn't have time to give it away. So we might as well just destroy it. Well, and even a compassion program paying a dollar for each of those products versus nothing. And I think that is one of the areas I know some attorneys who are working on compassion. Dale Schaefer and Kelson, you guys are are gems. Um, We can do better. And that is, I think, getting past some of the fears that we have about what is the sky falling effect of legal cannabis going to look like mm-hmm. and then being like that's overblown like let's be honest about it you don't need this child resistant packaging we're creating more waste than is really mm-hmm. worthwhile also if there is leftover product for something there are people in need you know mm-hmm. that's i um it's legal to gift cannabis in oregon if i'm out for the night and i find myself going home and i'm walking by a homeless person and i still have a joint in my pocket I'm going to give it away. Yeah, but isn't that, that's legal in California too? Gifting is legal in California too. Okay, so at the Circular Summit, it was an entrepreneurial Mm -hmm. uh, female entrepreneur event that was put on by Alice and um, who was the other, like Bumble Biz, a couple Garden Society, Uh you know, a few brands put this together, just women empowering women. And one of the women that I met there, her name is Tammy Wall, and she is a policy advisor in D.C. Mm -hmm. And we had a group of female cannabis entrepreneurs that were all together for a few hours one day. And she was just saying, like, hey, y'all reach out to me. Let me know what these policies need to look like. Where are these pain points? What are the things that we need to be talking about 
to make sure gets built into the federal laws right. that we're trying to put together. So something like that to me is yeah. like, okay, that needs to be addressed for sure. There should be built into the federal government a gifting program for veterans, mm-hmm. point blank. There should be a federal just reserve of cannabis that if vets want to use that for alternative health treatment, mm-hmm. that should be integrated into their health plan and that should be available free of cost, in my opinion. Right. You know, I'm going to connect you with mm-hmm. Tammy either via LinkedIn cool. or something. Yeah. Because I, I do think she would also appreciate hearing your voice on these things. Right. Yeah. I mean, it, it takes a village, damn it. It takes a village. I also think we are at a unique time where more people who are maybe not of the culture are being receptive to what is being said, mm-hmm. especially at higher levels of government, that this is the time to act. Because to hear that policy, I'm sure, is well-shaped for what the theory of what this would look like with federal legalization, now is the time to have influence. Because much like this Appalachian thing, after you set it up, trying to go back and change it is really hard. And that's, especially for things in California, anything that's going to require a vote, trying to get voters interested and active again, Mm -hmm. unless they have a vested interest... They're like, oh, it's legalized. Yeah. We're done. We're good. And you're like, not good. Yeah. There's still a lot that we can do better. And Well, and whenever you're planning something in a boardroom and every, you know, it's like ideas on paper, things look really good. But like I did experiential marketing. I was the one that would then have to take this plan and then be boots on the ground and put it into action. Right. And once you're there, it's like, ah. This is this doesn't exactly no. work. Right. We, it's we not need to the shift intersection yeah. isn't there. So having the voices of the yeah. people that are the boots on the ground and saying like, okay, this didn't work that well in California, or these are the hiccups we're having in Oregon, or these are the problems in Colorado, and being able to have all of these voices yeah. helping shape that. So if you are out there and you're trying to figure out how to get involved locally, then think about calling your congressman or reaching out and yeah look for your local trade groups that are actually doing political work i think that's a great way contributing to that so long as you can do the inquiry are they doing good work i I believe in that still Um, i know that there's a number of groups that are doing capitol hill days so if you can afford to take the time to go and do that Mm -hmm. go to washington dc and talk to somebody yeah and the other thing too i have gotten my panties in a wad overseeing these thousand dollar gold plated one hitters and things and I'm just like okay you know you want to be cool you want to buy this expensive stuff have you heard of the DFO no the degenerate flame off no no what is so this this is another it's an Oregon thing and have you seen degenerate glass art or why am I man I'm blanking on a lot of things today degenerate art thank you no? No. I mean, I know those two words separately, but right. then you put them together. <laughs> That's fair. So the history of glass pipes really is from Eugene, Oregon. Okay. So as a American craft, American art form, a lot of it came out of Eugene. And so what we have, and for I think eight years, the DFO went on in Eugene in the Whitaker District. And now last year it was out in Gresham here in Portland, and this year it's going to go on in Gresham as well. And it is where, like, Champs or AGE is very much about the sales side of glass. Okay. This is more just about the celebration of glass. And this is bringing the top glass artists from all over Mm -hmm. America to come together and do demos in front of people Mm -hmm. who are glass nerds. That's fun to watch. And I was going to say, if you guys could make it up for that, if you've never been to one of these events, you... I've just seen it at Maker Faire. People, like, blowing glass at Maker Faire. It is a... It's not that. (laughs) Where you're like, hold on, it took you eight hours and you made what? Holy shit. When I teach at Amsterdam and I teach the copyright section, I talk about glass pieces having this revolutionary artistic renaissance. Because actually a number of the glass manufacturers of the raw glass are here in Portland also. North Mm -hmm. Star, uh, I think Glass Alchemy is here. Troutman Glass used to be here. Uh, I think North Star bought them. But... There's colors that didn't even exist three years ago mm-hmm. that now exist because the cannabis industry has more money moving into it, which then finances the glass industry, which then advances this whole art form. Okay. Unique, just unique thing. But 
really out of uh, like when I lived in Eugene, I was, the joke was you couldn't throw a pipe without hitting a glass blower, <laughs> and it's I, it's become even more popular to the point where I think the market is is much like some of the cannabis space saturated. Mm-hmm. But to see the the real craftspeople make these things, where some of the pieces you look at it and you're like, that's not that's not even a pipe, and you're like, actually, that's three pipes. What? <laughs> and just beautiful to the point where you could have it very legitimately on your you know, coffee table mm-hmm. and just aesthetically, if you're into sculpture, totally yeah. fits that, that, that desire. It's a centerpiece. It's a talking point. And it's a bong. <laughs> and <laughs> it's a bong. Yeah. I dig it. Yeah. So, I, I mean, if you guys, uh, and the footage that you would get from that, mm-hmm. um, I have found that, I mean, by the virtue of living in Oregon, I've had the opportunity to meet a lot of really famous glassblowers. Um this is an untapped, it's the subculture of a subculture. And that has existed in a parallel with the cannabis space, but always had to be kept separate because of paraphernalia laws. Mm -hmm. And now it's this overlap. It's this, once again, unique moment in time for what we're seeing, where it's like time to shine. Clouds have parted. Here's Mm -hmm. the rainbow. Exactly. I mean, if if you are into, I hope you come up for it. Yeah, I mean... Even if nothing else, to just right. get casually baked and watch that process where they got the... So... It's the, just cool to that, see. That's like... I would in, leave you with go see Degenerate Art. I believe Marble Slinger made it, I think, almost 10 years ago now. Okay. Um, I think it's still on YouTube. It was on Netflix for a little while. I think it was on Hulu for a little while. But it gives you... And it, it, he filmed it really in a creative way where it removes it from cannabis. I don't even... I don't even think they say cannabis in the documentary at all. Interesting. But it to see, and everyone has this different aesthetic. Uh-huh. You know, it's like you, it look to me it has a feel of what like graffiti art had or mm-hmm. skateboarding had, where it was like this edgy alternative thing that slowly got, or punk rock or hip hop, slowly got assimilated yeah. into major culture. And that is what this breakdown of having to keep cannabis and glass separate. That's what mm-hmm. we're seeing. But yeah, I, I can't speak highly enough about this event because it, it, watching what people can make in that amount of time mm-hmm. is just phenomenal. Well, and to see how the cannabis culture is evolving and we're trying to normalize it. So it's right. fun that we have got to see all those other cultures normalized. normalized. Of course, all the, you know, the hipsters that were involved with them, they're like, well, now it's not cool. It, you I know, mean, but yeah. I don't care. I want cannabis to be and, and accessible to everyone. So that, if you don't think it's cool you anymore, fuck off. Go, go find the next underground thing then. Yeah. And that's cool. I like... Psilocybin for, will be their next <laughs> one. <laughs> we are already trying to legalize I that. Know, I know. That's so exciting too. Yeah, I know. I'm going to do another show on that. Yeah. I've met this really wonderful woman. Mm-hmm. I'm going to go to see her outside of Big Sur. Cool. And we're going to... I'm excited about We're going to talk that. about think, all of the things. Uh, have you met anyone from MAPS in the Bay Area? I, I mean, I've met some of them at a few of the conferences, right. but I haven't had anyone on the show. They would be... I think that's great content yeah. to cover, too. Yeah. Because really, that paradigm shift is... There was an intention of cannabis legalization and backing cannabis legalization mm-hmm. as cannabis being a psychedelic. Right. And then being like, well, where... Where can we go? Well, yeah, because it's like, okay, let's open the portfolio. Let's, okay, cannabis first, right. psilocybin next. What's right. going to be next? What, and what that, do you think, like, what okay. do you think is going to be the next one? I think we're going to have a big hang-up after psilocybin. Yeah. Because everything else, I actually, I've talked to a few people who are members of the group, and there's such a orchestrated propaganda, point blank, this is all bad, mm-hmm. bad, that you can't even look at it in an honest light. Mm-hmm. And I think that, and for talking to some people, they're like, psilocybin was the easy play because half the people can't pronounce the word. So it's more of a blank palette to be like, oh, yeah, like, let's ta- let's have a discourse. Yeah. And that, I think, finding something else that doesn't have either a 1970s or 1980s stigma attached mm-hmm. to it would be really, really hard. But I don't think it's going to stop instead of just saying blanket this has no value has no use we're at a period where looking at different substances and saying you know it's not gates come down and free for all but it's not bedlam it's 
there might be value here that we have just overlooked. Uh-huh. And I think that is a really unique opportunity to be like, well, let's let's have some honest dialogue about this. Yeah. Instead of cracking an egg, throwing it in a frying pan and being like, this is your life. And then yeah, this is your brain. This is your brain on drugs. Mm, exactly. And it's clearly, for breakfast. Everybody, right? <laughs> you hate <laughs> eggs. No. And it, clearly, there is a lot of people who found a lot of success, a lot of happiness, a lot of normal life living Mm-hmm. who've had experiences like that. Yeah. And I think that that is one of the beautiful things about the cannabis movement is people who have aspects of their life like this are feeling more confident and coming out and saying, well, this is who I am. I disagree with this law. And not I am just going to be persecuted for it. I'm behind closed doors. This is wrong. It's I can do something about this and I feel empowered and I want to get involved and I want to do something differently because this is not how I see mm-hmm. the country. This is not the country that I want to live in. Yeah. And I think that is a very unique opportunity in time, especially for talking to people who are older who are like, man, I never saw this coming with cannabis. And I'm like, you get this another 10 years, this is going to, the, the traction is just picking up from what I'm seeing. Yeah. And it's not, once again, it's not just an American thing. Yeah. This is going on in other places around the world. Yeah. So I don't know if that's the collective Aquarius shift that we're seeing or mm-hmm. what this is but that's a good point for us to wrap up and and leave on is this idea that the world changes we never stop evolving right. as humans as a culture and that we all have the right to change our mind and oh, so yeah. policy makers and politicians and people that have their whole life had said like I don't believe in pot, like it's the devil's lettuce and like all of the things. Well, now that you know better, you can do better and it's okay to change your and, mind. And I think Nobody's going to hate you for the, it. The, the pause, like the hiccup in consciousness is when you start to look at it instead of just saying, is, were these policies purely about protecting my interest or was there a secondary interest involved? Oh, yeah. And then being like, well, hold on. Why do we have a privatized criminal justice system? Why, why can I buy the stock in a private prison? And starting to be like, did we just orchestrate something? Yeah. That, or did that get orchestrated for us? And we just kind of fell in line because we were told that that was how it's Right. Be. It's like interesting. Private prisons, and we have 5% of the population and 25% of the world's prisoners. Coincidence? No. I think not. Failed war on drugs? Yeah. I think so. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's always fun to talk to you. Thank you. And it's always fun I, to talk to you, too. I appreciate you making time. I know you are, you've got a lot of things man. going on. Yeah, man, I know. About to, I'm going to prom tomorrow night. Wow. wow. I know. You're, you're like, I, no, I, uh, I have a group of friends here in town that they've been putting on Portland prom for the last 10 years. This is the last year they're going to do it. So we're just going to have this prom, man. A prom for people who, like, fucked up their high school prom and they want to do over? Or I, what? Not, I mean, I don't know if I want to do over. Being able to drink legally... That's cool. That okay. is, that's yeah. a huge difference. Uh, Did you rent the tux or do you own it? I now I'm gonna go like thrift shop some oh, fun outfit okay. All right. and just go. I'm I'm lowbrow. That's the thing. No one's taking themselves too seriously. Okay. So it's well, that's it's fun. A good time. That yeah. sounds very Portland. Yeah, oh, it's keep, very Portland. Keep Portland weird. There you go. That's I mean that sounds like even you're though Austin. you stole it from Austin. <laughs> Allegedly, that is an alleged theft. I don't think there's any factual basis for that. There's Can we look up on. the IP on that? We well, let's look at the history. <laughs> first we do and i want to see if anyone owns that as a trademark that's actually good all next right. time we talk i'm gonna have that okay. information all right okay keep it weird who where is that owned that's right all right, all right cheers. cheers thanks for I hanging out i wish out. this was a joint okay yeah, i know yeah. we'll smoke a joint outside okay that works that, that's good <laughs> thanks <laughs> i hope you enjoyed my chat with luke out in the wild After finishing our local brews, we stepped outside and, of course, shared a joint with my team. Thank you to Sydney, Amanda, and Claire for being in the flow with me and for documenting the Casually Baked Portland experience. It's been really great traveling again, and I love taking the podcast on the road, although right now I will admit I am running on fumes and voodoo donuts. This was my second trip to Portland, And although they like to call themselves weird, as an Austinite, I don't dig that. And I am more inclined to call Portland progressive. I think it just fits better. And next week, we'll talk more about why, and I'll introduce you to the dynamic duo behind Peak Extracts. They are the first adult-use edibles producer licensed in Oregon, and currently the number two cannabis chocolate manufacturer in the state. 
In the meantime, I hope you'll share this episode of the podcast with a can of curious acquaintance in your life. And because I have never met anyone that didn't have at least one question about weed or the modern cannabis culture, I encourage you to submit your questions at casuallybaked.com. Or you can always DM me on social. I'm at casuallybaked on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube. If you haven't checked out Garden Society, the podcast, well, there's no time like the present. This week, I'm not only the producer, but I'm also the guest. We're talking about the calm of cannabis and why you shouldn't be afraid to experiment with THC. So if there's a lady in your life nervous to get high, I encourage you to share this podcast to lift them up. Find and subscribe to Garden Society and Casually Baked the Podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, iTunes, or your favorite listening app. Together. Casually Baked the Podcast was created, recorded, and produced by yours truly. Editing and sound design are in the capable hands of Arnav Gupta. La Osa is in the house capturing and editing the video version of the podcast available on YouTube and channel 203 on Cannabis Club TV. The podcast theme music is by my highly talented friend, Seth Walker. If you aren't familiar with Seth's music, you can find High Time on his album, Gotta Get Back, wherever you're finding your music these days. I know he didn't create High Time for me, but it sure as shit sounds like he did, right? I hope you'll tune in next time. Thanks for hanging out. Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. Hey everyone, it's Ryan from the Cannabis Connoisseur Podcast. If you're looking for ways to utilize cannabis to keep you healthy, strong, and sharp, come join us every Wednesday where we dive into the best ways to use cannabis to optimize your life. Topics include cannabis and athletics, cannabis for productivity, cannabis for anxiety, cannabis for a healthy immune system, and so much more. If you're a curious connoisseur, this show is for you. So please head over to our page and we're looking forward to seeing you this week. Bye.